Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're starting our series called Blessed Are the Weird. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. In 2001, a man from New York City by the name of Charlie Todd founded this group, this organization called Improv Everywhere. And I don't know if you're familiar with Improv Everywhere or not, but they perform in public places in a manner of speaking, not necessarily performances like you'd think. It's kind of a performance to an unsuspecting public to see what the reaction is going to be. So they've done several things like uh, frozen in place at Grand Central Station for 60 seconds just to see what their reaction would be. They did the food court musical where one person started singing and then all of a sudden all these people who were planted began rising up and singing. They did synchronized swimming uh, in the public fountains of New York City. So that, (laughs) all the really cool stuff. So that uh, New Yorkers would have this shared experience of absurdity. And if you go on their website, it says their goal is to perform missions of chaos and joy. And I want to show you a clip this morning that kind of directs a little bit of where our new series is headed. This clip is called The Mute Button. So go ahead and we'll watch that. (laughs) That's great. The the clip goes back and forth a few more times that way. And and at one point, the saxophonist is not playing anything, but someone walks up and puts money in his case. (laughs) Totally quiet at that point in time. But I love that clip, and and they always do things that are comical and interesting, but I love that it's a group of people that is sharing the same space with everyone else, but operating under an entirely different set of guidelines. They're living amongst other people, and yet they're acting completely different. It's causing other people to notice them. It's causing other people to say, what's the deal? What's going on here? It causes people to say, they're a little bit weird. And I think it's a perfect picture of what the kingdom of God can look like. And that's where we're headed over the next several months, as a matter of fact. We're beginning a new series this morning called Blessed Are the Weird. And maybe you come in here and you say, finally, a series that speaks to where I'm at. Now, we were going to use this for our logo. Blessed are the weird, but we didn't want you to have to stare at the poster child of weirdness the whole service, so we're not going to look at that. And um, he's preaching next week, so let's say God says don't take revenge on people. But we're talking about blessed are the weird. And what we're really going to look at is the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are just the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon in all of history. As Jesus begins that sermon, he lays out these principles of his kingdom. But before we get to the Beatitudes, let's talk for a minute about what is weird. Because I think we recognize weirdness, but typically that's something that we want to avoid. We don't want to be known as weird. We don't want to be known as different. Unless, of course, that difference means that we're better than everybody else, then we can be different that way if we're in first place. But we don't want to be odd or strange or stand out for something awkward. When I first moved to Salem, one of the first events that I got to lead was a graduating seniors from high school celebration. 
And so I thought it would be a great idea if we went out to dinner and then when we went to Bullwinkle's Family Fun Center and just had a great time playing together, but that would be too calm. So there had to be a twist to it. So I was gonna put all the students in pairs. I gave each of them $10 and we were gonna go to a thrift store before we went to dinner and to Bullwinkle's. And each person was responsible for purchasing an outfit for their partner that they had to wear the rest of the evening. Right? And this was going to be great. I was going to stand back. I was going to get lots of great pictures. And I was going to enjoy their embarrassment. Now, when we got to the thrift store, I discovered that there was an odd number of students and that I had to participate. <laughs> and I became a victim of my own nefarious little scheme. So I got partnered together with a graduating senior by the name of Sean O'Connor, who is currently one of our beloved middle school pastors. Uh, but Sean and I went in to shop for each other's outfits. Now, I found this sweater, this beautiful ladies' sweater that had humongous shoulder pads and this awful design on it and these huge gold buttons, and it was perfect for Sean. It was so who Sean was. So I picked out this sweater, and I head to checkout, and Sean comes up to the checkout carrying a pair of leopard print spandex pants. <laughs> Sean wins. <laughs> so, actually this past week, Sean was in my office and I was looking for pictures of this event. And I was looking to find them to delete them. I'm not, there's no way you're seeing a picture of this, people. But I couldn't find any. I couldn't find any pictures of this. But I did end up wearing uh, spandex pants for part of the evening underneath the rest of my clothes. <laughs> so I wore them, letter of the law, but not exactly. Anyway, we don't want to stand out that way, though. We don't want people to look at us and be like, wow, you're strange. Weird is, is good sometimes, but we don't always want to be known as weird. As a matter of fact, the definition of weird, I looked it up this past week. And just a side note, for those of you under the age of 25, we used to look things up in books. <laughs> it's this thing called a dictionary, all these pages and words. It's great. Um, it says strange, awkward, bizarre, different. And that's usually the words that we associate with being weird. And whether or not we want to be that or not, we understand that that's what weird looks like. But weird also means this. It means fantastic, extraordinary character, involving or suggesting the supernatural, unearthly, or uncanny. If you remember your Macbeth, the three witches at the beginning are called the weird sisters, hence the supernatural piece of that. And the word weird actually comes from an old English word that means worth. It means value. And so, yes, there's a strangeness and an awkwardness about it, but there's also something fantastic about being weird. There's something about extraordinary character. And so we are going to celebrate weirdness this fall, the beautiful, awkward, differentness of the Beatitudes. There's eight Beatitudes, and in the upcoming weeks, every week, we will stop and we will focus on one and really dive in to what that means. But this morning, we're going to do a little bit of an overview. We're going to see what led Jesus to this sermon and who was around him and what it means to be blessed and a little bit of what it means to be in his kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. That's where we find the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes there at the beginning. And here's a little bit of the background. In Matthew, Jesus has been baptized. He's had his wilderness experience, and he's actually called some of his disciples alongside of him. 
And if you look at chapter four, let's just read chapter four, starting in verse 23 there. It says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and from east of the Jordan River. One day he saw the crowds gathering. Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. So think about this crowd. In this crowd of people were his disciples. And in this crowd of people were people who had heard him teach in the synagogue. But mostly this crowd was made up of people who had seen him heal, who had seen him deliver people. And in this crowd were people who had experienced healing and deliverance. And so this crowd was probably a large sampling of what Matthew would say later in his gospel, the least of these. A huge crowd following Jesus because he was amazing and he was doing amazing things. And Jesus sat down and began to teach, and he lays out what it looks like to live in his kingdom. Now, the Bibles that we have in the pews, that's the New Living Translation, and it's awesome. We love it. But I'm going to read it this morning. I'm going to read the Beatitudes in the NIV because I think it's the wording that we're familiar with. So here's what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right away, Jesus is letting him, his people know, these people who are following him, my kingdom is different. It's different in this kingdom. They were following him because he was amazing and doing amazing things, but Jesus is saying, it's more than just the miracles. My kingdom is about more than just the miracles. It's not about being proud, it's about being poor in spirit. It's not about being manly or macho, it's about mourning and meekness. It's not about always doing what you think is reasonable, it's about doing what is righteous. He's saying it's not a bandwagon that you're jumping on, it's a battle. Jesus delivers a hard-hitting message. There's no hidden agenda, it's not superficial. These are the norms in the kingdom of heaven. This is what it looks like. And these things are different. They're not what people would expect Jesus to say. They're a little bit weird. Because as you look at this list, you're not like, wow, poor in spirit, sign me up. And you know what I love? Mourning. Yeah, it's so great. And meek? Meek is weak, people. A few years ago, North Salem cross-country team had on the back of their T-shirts Trample the weak, hurdle the dead. That is awesome, right? 
<laughs> yes. You don't ever see cross-country t-shirts that say, blessed are the meek, for they get participation ribbons. <laughs> right? You look at this list and you're like, I don't know if this is what I want to be. The message that Jesus gave was countercultural. J.I. Packer says it this way. The Sermon on the Mount is the most complete delineation anywhere in the New Testament of the Christian counterculture. Here's a Christian value system, ethical standard, religious devotion, attitude to money, ambition, lifestyle, and network of relationships, all of which are totally at variance with the non-Christian world. It's countercultural. When you look at the Beatitudes, however, it is the content of our Christianity. It's not what you do to become a Christian, but it's how you live as a Christian. Tim Keller would even say, it's how you know that you are a Christian. This is the list. This is the way that we are supposed to live. You see, being a Christian is more than just a one-time transaction. It's not as if God just scans some barcode on you and puts you in the I'm a Christian room and you're done. We can't have a commitment to Jesus that has nothing to do with his presence in our lives. We can't have a commitment to Jesus that has nothing to do with his presence in our lives. And so by working through and living into this list of beatitudes, we discover the difference between a distant God and a present king in our lives. You see, this isn't just eight statements about eight different groups of people. This is eight statements about what a follower of Jesus should look like. And it's not the buffet line. You don't get to pick and choose. You can't be like, you know, I can do the righteousness thing and I'll be a peacemaker. But uh, meekness and persecution, I'm out. I don't want to do those things. It's for all of us. And it's not just a list that's here and there. It's a list that goes in order. It's a progression. It's one thing to the next the first four are how to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and the second four are about this transformed life that happens in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, when you do these things, you will be blessed. Blessed are those who do these things. Now, maybe we have a different idea of what that means. And if you can imagine Jesus standing in front of this crowd, largely made up of the least of these, when they heard him begin his sermon by saying, blessed are those who, they would have listened because it would have been something that they would have longed to hear, the same way we long to hear it. We want to know what it looks like to be blessed by God. But in our minds, I think we think that's equated to happiness, because beatitude, the word beatitude, actually comes from the Latin, which means happy. And even blessed in the New Testament Greek can be translated as happy, but it's very inadequate in expressing what Jesus really meant to say. But happiness is still something that we are all chasing. Pascal said it this way, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they use, all men tend towards this end. It's one of our inalienable rights. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We just want to be happy. And by that, we usually mean having our needs met and a lack of conflict in our life. In a bigger house. Just those three things. Our needs met, no conflict, in a bigger house. In a nice car. 
I gotta have a nice car. Just those things. And an Apple Watch. Because we need an Apple Watch, right? Isn't that how it goes, though? We just want to be happy if we could just have this, this, maybe a little of this, maybe some of that. But here's the reality. If you chase happiness, you will never catch it. If happiness is what you're chasing, you will never catch it. Ecclesiastes chapter two, Solomon says, I denied myself no good thing. If ever there was a man who had the means to give himself anything around him, it was Solomon. He said, I denied myself nothing. And in the end, it was all meaningless. He said it was meaningless. You see, chasing happiness leads to desperation. This desperation that always wants more and more and more. A lifestyle of chasing happiness exposes a deep hole inside of you, but does nothing to fill it. It exposes this deep need inside of us, but does nothing to fulfill that need. When my girls were little, I could get away with giving them candy, the cheap kind of candy. You know the little butterscotch that nobody else eats that's always in the bottom of the candy thing? Be like, here you go, here's some candy. They'd be like, thanks, Dad, what's that you're eating? Oh, it's called a peanut butter cup, but it tastes like broccoli. You would hate it, (laughs) right? Until they got that, and then they were like, I want that. You know, you can get away with giving them a little bit of M&Ms until they see the bag of M&Ms. You can give them the fun size, which is horribly misnamed. Wouldn't fun size be so much more fun if it was like that? (laughs) You give them the fun size, but when you're eating the full size, they're like, I want that. And then when they get that, they want the next thing and the next thing. And it's the same thing with us, right? We still do that with cars or careers or relationships. It satisfies for a little bit, but then you want the next thing. You want the bigger. You want the better. You see, the reason that we can't catch happiness is that happiness is largely dependent upon things that we have little to no control over. Think about that for a second. The economy, politics, family, the words and actions of other people, sports teams. If you're a Ducks fan, you're happy that that says, blessed are those who mourn. (laughs) Like, it's going to be a long year. You can't tie your happiness to that kind of thing. Have you ever noticed that the beginning of the word happiness is hap, which also is at the beginning of words like happenstance? and haphazard, because what it means is a chance occurrence. Related to chance, it does not say on this list, blessed are those who seek blessedness. It doesn't say happy are those who seek happiness. It says blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness because blessedness is independent of circumstances and stuff. And happiness is all about circumstances and stuff and how we feel and blessedness is not tied to emotions but it's tied to character. You see, when the Bible says someone is blessed, it's not saying what they feel, it's saying what they are. It's a declaration of God's assessment of someone, of a deep inner spiritual condition. Fundamentally, blessed means to find the approval of God. God approves of it when we are these things. And literally, it means God turns his face towards you when? In Numbers chapter six, the priestly blessing was the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. 
Mary, when she found out the good news from the angel and prayed that beautiful Magnificat in Luke chapter one, she said that God, God has noticed me. God has seen me. He's looked upon me. And everyone will call me blessed. That's what it means. That's what it looks like. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is all about God smiling on us when we do these things. It's all about his kingdom. It's about this new rule, this set of priorities and principles that he is establishing alongside all of these earthly kingdoms. Jesus comes and brings a spiritual kingdom. The poor in spirit, it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's bringing about his kingdom. Now, the easiest way to think about a kingdom is just to think about what, what is it like when somebody new comes to power? What are the priorities that they put in place when they come to power? This past week, I was reading about um, Turkmenistan, like you do, and uh, I was reading that in 1991, as the Soviet Union was crumbling, there were certain countries that were trying to extricate themselves from this failing regime, and Turkmenistan was one of those countries. And this, this leader arose. His name was Saparmurat Niyazov, and that will be the last time I pronounce that. <laughs> and he came to power. He actually held an election and won. Now, he was the only one running, but he still won. And what would his kingdom look like? What would Turkmenistan be marked by in this new kingdom? Well, the first thing he did when he became president was he banned all further presidential elections. (laughs) Because he said, elections are stressful on the general population, so I will be president for life. And then he went about setting up his regime, and a lot of that consisted of himself. He used the treasury money to build gold statues of himself all over the capital that follow the sun when it moves. And when he ran out of money in the treasury, he rescinded the pensions of hundreds of thousands of people. He actually made them pay two years back pay on what the government had paid them so he could continue to fund his policies and procedures, much of which were a little bit crazy, like he banned lip syncing because it didn't allow for creativity in music and he, uh, when he couldn't smoke anymore, he banned smoking for the whole country. Like, if I can't smoke, none of y'all can smoke. We're done. And uh, he banned makeup on TV because he was finding it hard to differentiate between male and female news anchors. So he's like, no more makeup, which sounds like a whole other issue, doesn't it? Um, he named schools and colleges and streets after himself. He changed the names of the months and the days of the week to be named after himself and his family. He changed the national anthem so it would be about him in the chorus, which is awesome. (laughs) But it was all about him. It was all about his regime and his rule, and the people despised him and lived in fear. That's what his priorities were. That's what his principles were. Now, when Christ came to establish his kingdom, and he says that in chapter four, the kingdom of heaven is near. He said it's, it's arrived and it's coming. It's gradual and it's growing. It's, it's already and it's not quite yet. This kingdom of heaven, this rule, these are the priorities of his spiritual kingdom. 
These are the principles. And it's not just a program that affects a small part of your life. It's total transformation. That's what he's looking for. And we need to understand the Beatitudes in this context. And as different as these things may seem and as weird and as difficult as they may seem, they are the path to turning an upside down world right side up. They are the path to bringing the kingdom of God into our lives and to bringing the kingdom of God into this world. And that's why later on in this same sermon, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Our first priority are the principles in the kingdom of God. And he said, it's less about your surroundings because it's a spiritual kingdom. And it's more about surrender. Because the kingdom of God, it's all about Jesus. It's all about living for him. And we find out in Daniel chapter four that that God's kingdom will last forever. It is eternal. And it's what we are to turn our attention towards. His kingdom. Because the reality is we are all building kingdoms. You might not use that language, but we're all building a kingdom. It's just a matter of whose kingdom are you building. Is it your own? Are you worried about safety and security and your possessions and acceptance and applause from others and advancement in your careers? Are you trying to build your kingdom? Or are you trying to build the kingdom of God? As I've been processing over the Beatitudes these past few weeks, I kept coming back to this same thought. What would it be like if Jesus came into this sanctuary and gave this sermon? What would it be like if Jesus stood here on stage, if you can just picture it, and and he's not wearing a robe with a beauty pageant sash, and he doesn't have a lamb over his shoulders, or whatever flannel graph image you have of him. He's just up here, regular guy, and he's he's wearing the mic, and, and Peter's running around, passing out handouts, and they've got all these blanks on him. It says, blessed are the blank, for they shall blank, and you're super excited to hear what Jesus is gonna say, and how you're gonna fill these things in, and Then he's got a little tech issue, but he heals it. It's awesome. (laughs) But as Jesus is delivering now, as Jesus is delivering these kingdom principles, what are we thinking? Are we thinking, wow, that's clever. Wow, those those are really good. Wow, write that down. Is Jesus teaching these things just to impart information to us? No. No. Is Jesus teaching these things just so we can reproduce the language so that we can say to each other, yeah, that's right, blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. Amen. No. Is he teaching us these things so we can fill out all these blanks and then file it away somewhere and be like, that was good? No. Jesus taught so that there would be life change. Jesus taught so that we would live into this kingdom of his and expand his kingdom. He didn't teach all of this as a checklist so that you could go down and be like, yep, 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 heard it. Because if this was just a checklist, then it would be legalism and it would be lifeless. It's not. It's not a set of laws. It's, a, it's an indication of character. It's how we are supposed to live. To expand his kingdom. I want to leave you with just four thoughts 
as we move forward into this series. The first is this. I would love it if you would, in the upcoming weeks, just read the Beatitudes, write them out, meditate on them, put them someplace where you see them. As we lean into these truths, this content of our Christianity, is our heart ready to receive this? Secondly, I would ask you this question. Is this increasingly who I am becoming? As you look at this list, can you say, yeah, I'm weird like that. Do I look like this? Third question is this. Do I spend more time seeking happiness for me or blessing from God? Because the Beatitudes are gonna rise up in us a certain shift. And we may have to shift in our priorities. Another way of saying that is just this last question. Whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom am I building? What do I spend my days for? My prayer recently has been, God, how can I build your kingdom today, not my own? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this amazing sermon. And we don't just want to listen to it and file it away. Jesus, help us be transformed. Spirit, move in our lives so that we can live in such a way to be kingdom-minded, to further your kingdom. Jesus, continue to teach us what it means to build your kingdom alongside of the kingdom that we live in and be focused on your kingdom. We love you, Jesus, in your name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.